Alright, alright you guys, it is Anita Love to Hate to Hate from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Coming back to you guys. I wanted to talk about the only case of HIV cure or remission. Because we were talking about it in class. Given how much the the phrase HIV cure has been thrown around, you might start to think that we actually have one. We don't. But they are getting close. Over the past few years, a small but growing number of people appear to have had active living, reproducing HIV completely eliminating from their bodies. We say appeared because most of these individuals ultimately relapsed. However, there was, and for some, continued to be a period of sustained remission that seems to be studied more. Uh, this is uncharted territory, and researchers are still working hard to find ways to eradicate HIV or at least prolong the remission seen in some of these extraordinary cases. For that reason, we tend to refer to people with no sign of HIV in their bodies, and not as cured, but as functional, functionally cured. More recently, we've also referred to these cases as sustained HIV remission, whereby Individuals can discontinue treatment without either developing HIV-associated morbidities or showing signs of progression to disease while maintaining a very low viral load. Here's a quick look at the most sightly documented functional HIV cure or HIV remission case that have that is known up to date. Um, the Berlin patient. In the beginning, there was Timothy Ray Brown, an American living in Berlin. Brown was diagnosed with HIV in 1995, and he had advanced leukemia in 2006. His prognosis had become grim. A German oncologist decided to try some medical equivalents of a Hail Mary pass, a never-before-attempted stem cell transfer in which the donor had a rare mutation, making him essentially immune to most forms of HIV. The procedure was extremely risky and stunningly successful. Brown's leukemia remission remains in remission, and there is still no sign of active HIV anywhere in his body, though he has been off of HIV medication since shortly after his transplant. The Boston duo, the success of the Berlin patient, got researchers wondering how easy might it be to replicate the miracle. The short answer they come up with is that it's not, answer, it's not easy. The stem cell transplant procedure is very dangerous and awfully expensive. Nonetheless, in certain cases, it may be deemed worth the risk. In 2012, researchers reported the case of two HIV-positive men who had received stem cell transplant similar to the one Brown received. Unlike Brown, Brown, though, the donor cells they received were not resistant to HIV. So finding a genetic match for such a rare mutation is extremely difficult. The two men stayed on HIV treatment throughout the transplant process, which appear to have kept any remaining HIV in their bodies from infecting the new donor cells. Unfortunately, months after stopping treatment, both patients relapsed. The... The Visconti cohort, for some time now, many HIV experts have had a hypothesis if people can be started on HIV treatment early enough, very shortly after they're infected, it might be possible to prevent HIV from establishing a permanent foothold in their bodies. 
The Vista Conte study is one high-profile attempt to test its hypothesis. 14 people who had started HIV treatment during acute early stage infections were kept on medication for at least a year before stopping. Surprisingly, once they stopped treatment, these people were still able to control the virus. Their HIV viral load remained undetectable without them having to take meds, as though their immune system had been trained to be similar to that of the extremely small number of people who appeared to have a natural ability to fight off the virus. Doctors referred to these people as being post-treatment controllers or, in long-term, functional remission of their HIV infection. The Mississippi Baby One of the most popular cure stories came in March 2013. That's when we learned about a baby from Mississippi who had HIV at birth, but whose infection appeared to have subsequently been wiped out. Similar to the Vincicott group, the key to success in this case appeared to have been starting HIV treatment very early with the most potential drugs available. This is not typically necessary for babies born to HIV-positive mothers, in part because mothers rarely pass HIV to their children if they receive proper care before giving birth. After being taken off treatment, the child showed no signs of HIV for 27 months. However, in July 2014, the child's virus rebounded. While disappointing the case could provide some critical insight if scientists are able to determine what it was that prevented HIV from rebounding for 27 months, even though the child was not on treatment as well as what triggered the rebound. Then there's the Minnesota preteen. In April 2013, news arrived about a 12-year-old boy in Minnesota, Eric Brown, who had received a stem cell transplant using HIV-resistant donor cells to treat his HIV and leukemia. Sounds similar, right? It should. It's the same procedure Timothy Ray Brown underwent, except the doctors use umbilical cord blood, which is easier to match to a recipient. The transplant operation itself was completed without complications, and Eric was reported doing well until June 2013 when he developed graft-versus-host disease. Sadly, he passed away on July 5, 2013. While not yet conclusive, Tissue and blood tests obtained, though, Blue's treatment has shown an absence of HIV even after his medications were discontinued, is what his doctor said. Two men down under. Two Australian men are showing no signs of HIV after receiving bone marrow transplant to treat cancer, according to a case presented by David Cooper at the 20th International AIDS Conference in Melbourne, Australia. Although the two patients are seemingly HIV-free, as a precaution, I'm sorry, they're both still on antiviral therapy as a precaution, as we've seen in the two Boston patients who had HIV remissions after stem cell transplant. The virus can still rebound months after treatment is discontinued, leading to abundance of caution with these men. Certainly, this is promising news, but it remains to be seen whether these two Australian patients are truly cured or need to remain on treatment. The Argentinian woman a 51-year-old woman in Argentina appeared to be functionally cured after discontinuing treatments for seven years, according to another study presented at the 20th International AIDS Conference in Melbourne, Australia. The woman was diagnosed with HIV in 1996. She started treatment and eventually achieved an undetectable viral load. In 2007, treatment was interrupted because lipid and body fat problems associated with her medications. Since then, despite being off treatment, her viral load has remained undetectable. What's more... No HIV DNA has been detected in her blood, and she's, she does not have the CCR5 receptor mutation. 
Researchers report that this could be a case of a functional cure and suggest that it may even be possible to achieve this state using standard HIV treatment. Although this has never been known to have occurred before, further studies are underway to examine the woman's HIV reservoirs. Then there's the French teenager. In July 2015, a case study reported that an 18-year-old French female had been able to maintain an undetectable viral load for more than 12 years after interrupting early antiviral therapy. The researchers declared this a case of sustained HIV remission. The female was born with HIV and giving AZT retrovirus, a, pro- a prophylactic treatment. She had an undetectable HIV RNA viral load at day 3 and then an undetectable HIV DNA viral load at days 3 and 14. After 6 weeks, the AZT retrovirus treatment was interrupted. However, at 3 months, her viral load increased sharply and she was started on combination anti-retroviral therapy. The girl was then lost to follow up between... 5.8 and 6.8 years of age, but when she returned to care, she had an undetectable viral load despite interrupting treatment months earlier. Since then, despite not being on treatment, the young woman's viral load has been below 50, except for one blip of 515 for over 12 years. And then there's the South African child. In July 2017, a study reported that a child in South Africa has been able to suppress HIV without any meds for eight and a half years. The child has been able to do this after receiving very early treatment at around 63 days old in 2007. The child was enrolled in study examined treatment interruption in infants living with HIV, though which it receives anti-retroviral therapy for 40 weeks. Afterwards, its treatment was interrupted and the researchers closely monitored the child's health. To their surprise, the child continued to have an undetectable viral load and has maintained undetectable levels for eight and a half years. When the child was nine and a half, the researchers were able to detect a small reservoir virus in a small part of the child's immune system, but no other evidence of HIV, including no evidence of virus capable of replicating. The researchers also confirmed that the child was not an elite controller, meaning the 40 week of treatment the child received during infancy was a key factor in achieving this HIV remission. Though very early treatment seems to be only one part of the puzzle. You can read more on the cure um, if you want to learn more about the research for a way to stop HIV, HIV once and for all. There are articles after articles after articles that you can go to for Remedy Health Media. Um, they update their site all the time. It is amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's some good stuff. I, I think everybody should at least just educate yourself more on it and be aware of how serious um, AIDS is. Well, that's just my educational fact for this fabulous Friday. I hope I didn't scare you. If I scared you, that means you need to take your ass to the clinic and get tested. How you doing? Just saying. <laughs> All right, you guys. Miss Michelle Obama have stayed firm that she does not want to be president. She is not one to mince words, and she's doubling down on previous statements that she is not going to run for president. The former first lady 
was at Simmons Leadership Conference in Boston on Thursday when she told a crowd she does not have presidential aspiration. Bummer. Bummer. I don't like that. All right, carrying on. There are two male dancers will make history as the first male cheerleaders in the NFL. Sometimes knowing the right people can make all the difference. Just ask dancer Quentin Perrin and Napoleon Jennings. The latest addition to the Los Angeles Ram cheerleading squad, the Paris made history as the first male cheerleaders in the NFL. He said, I am choreographed for girls who dance on pro teams. I've danced with girls on various pro teams. So I thought, why not me? Why can't I do this? I called my friend Raquel and I asked her when auditions were for the Ram. She told me Sunday I showed up and, well, here I am. All right. I hear you, Perrin. Good morning, America. Beating out 76 other finalists who auditioned for the cheer team, Perrin and Jennings were ecstatic to make the final cut for the squad. The classically trained dancers have already worked with all women groups in the past, so they're confident they're fitting perfectly. Other teams in the league have hired male stunt dancers. I mean, yes, but not male cheerleaders. It was really humbling and amazing to be invited. Every time you came back to pinch yourself and be on your A-game, so high emotions, but it was worth it, Jennings said. When the season opened this September, the pair would take the field, cheerleading on one of the best young teams in the league. So, okay. All right. On a bitter note, there's this Alabama team that turned down a plea deal for 25 years, then got 65 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. Lakeithan Smith was tried as an adult under Alabama's accomplice liability law. He was sentenced to 65 years in prison this week for the killing of a robbery accomplice, even though he didn't deliver the shots that killed him. Judge Sibley Reynolds of Alabama's 19th Traditional Circuit Court handed down three sentences on Thursday, April 5th, that Smith would serve back-to-back. The first is 30 years for murder. The second is 15 years for burglary and the third 10 years each for two theft conviction. The now 18-year-old was involved in the break-ins of two homes in Millbrook, Alabama in 2015. Smith was part of a group of five individuals accused of the thefts, all of whom are being held responsible for the death of a Dante Washington 16. On February 23, 2015, police responded to a call of a burglary in progress encountered a group of boys that included Adante. Members of the group reportedly shot at the officers. Adante ran toward one officer pointing a thirty-eight caliber revolver. That unnamed officer, who has been cleared of all wrongdoing, fired four times, killing Adante. Alabama's accomplished law holds Smith accountable for Adante's death. The law allows accomplices to be convicted of murder if a death occurs while they are committing a crime, even if the accomplice did not directly cause the death. He hasn't said, I'm sorry yet, Reynolds said in court. He hasn't acknowledged to this court that he shouldn't have done, shouldn't have come around. In fact, his attitude toward this court in life in general has been sour. C.J. Robinson, chief assistant district attorney, said that he was pleased by the outcome and that Smith, who smiled in court, won't be smiling long. I don't think Mr. Smith will be smiling long when he gets to prison, Robinson said. 
We're very pleased with this sentence because the sentences are consecutive. It will be a long time before he comes up for even the possibility for parole, at least 20 to 25 years. Smith turned down a plea deal earlier that would only have him serving a 25-year sentence. His other living accomplice accepted the deal. The officer shot at Dante, not Lakeitha Smith. Smith lawyer Jennifer Halton said during the trial, Lakeitha was a 15-year-old child scared to death. He did not participate in the act that caused the death of Adante. He never shot anybody. That's horrible. That is really horrible. And that's when, you know, they tell you, you know, be mindful of the company that you keep. You know, because they're going to, especially in the legal system, they're going to hold you accountable every time. Every single time. So... I wanted to go past that. I wish him the best. Maybe it's a way that they can keep fighting it to reduce the sentencing. I don't know. But for a district attorney to be happy with giving somebody 65 years from an officer killing someone, it's beyond me. I don't understand it. When Adante pointed a gun at an officer, so they said, and the officer shot him, he caused his own death in this instance. I don't know. I just have uh, mixed views when it comes to that. But I'm going to go past that. I talked on my podcast um, Monday or Tuesday about uh, a black Texas woman that um, was sentenced uh, to five years in prison for committing voter fraud. Well, there was an article that came up and it was titled, Here's What Happened When Three White People Committed Voter Fraud Versus a Black Texas Woman. The uh, Texas woman um, named Crystal, um, excuse me, Crystal Mason, she was 43. She was sentenced to five years in prison on Wednesday for unknowingly committing voter fraud by voting in the 2016 election. Three white people charged with the same crime weren't remanded to jail, to a jail cell. However, Mason, a black mother of two, was on supervised release for a prior fraud conviction when she cast her ballot in the presidential election. She said no one informed her that she was barred from voting until her sentence was completed. Now she's headed back to prison. The outcome was much different for other folks who voted illegally. A North Carolina woman cast a vote for President Donald Trump on behalf of her mother, who had recently died. The grieving woman claimed she had no idea she couldn't vote on behalf of a dead person. No charges were ever filed in that case. This woman is 67 years old and has never ran a file of the law for anything more serious than speeding ticket. It's what the district attorney, David Leonard, said in a statement. It's not in the public's interest to charge her with this felony offense. Over in Iowa, a woman named Terry Lynn Roth tried to vote for Trump twice. Her excuse, she believed Trump when he claimed the election is rigged, so she cast a second vote out of fear that her first one would be changed to support D- Democrat candidate Hillary Clinton. Rock was let off with probation and a $750 fine. A former Republican Party chair in Colorado was slapped with three years of probation and 300 hours of community service after he admitted to mailing in a ballot on his wife's behalf. He blamed the mistake on a major diabetic episode and claimed he had no recollection of filing, filling out the ballot. Despite these similar fraudster case, Mason was the only one to receive jail time. Coincidence? We think not. North Carolina white woman who admitted voter fraud, no charges. 
white woman convicted of photo fraud probation. Iowa woman, white woman convicted of photo fraud probation, $750. Texas black woman convicted of five years in prison. Which of these is not like the other? See, when people sign stuff and they're like, oh, I'm about to get out, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes people are just so ecstatic and happy to be released from jail or to be back in society. They don't even think about making sure they read every single detail. Detail, I'm sorry. That's why you have to read everything. Make sure you know exactly what you are signing. You have to. I mean, there's just no way around it. Seriously. I wish that it was a way she can she can fight this. I wish it was a way. Because uh, I feel bad. I really do. Okay, I'm moving on. Hawaii committee calls for Obama statue in his birth state. Honolulu, a state senate committee in Hawaii on Tuesday called for a statue of former President Barack Obama to be erected in the state where he was born. The Senate Judiciary Committee voted unannounced for a resolution requesting that the Hawaiian State Foundation on Culture and Arts Commission on the state... <clears throat> I'm sorry. Excuse me. On the... Um, Commission the statue. Obama was born in Honolulu in 1961 and graduated from Panahu School. The resolution would refer to the Hawaiian Senate's Ways and Means Committee for consideration. The resolution called for an art advisory committee to be formed that would select a location for the statue, review design proposal, and select an artist. It did not specify how the statue would be funded. The re resolution said the U.S. thrived under Obama's presidency, noting that the national deficit shrank by two-thirds and 16 million Americans were able to obtain health care through the Affordable Care Act adapted during his administration. It noted Obama was only the third African-American to hold a U.S. Senate seat since Reconstruction after he was elected from Illinois. Statues of several prominent Hawaiian historical figures populated the area around the Hawaiian state capital in downtown Honolulu. A statue of King Kemahema, I know I said that wrong, I'm sorry, the great who unified the Hawaiian islands under his rule in the early 1800s stands in front of the Hawaiian Supreme Court. Statues of Queen Lalakela, or whatever, last monarch and Saint Domain, um, a Catholic priest who cared for leprosy patients stand outside the state capitol building. Um, I think that's a good look. I think that is a good look. I'm just saying. I think that would be great. Also, Obama says receding DACA is cruel. They have done nothing wrong. Former President Barack Obama calls President Donald Trump's decision to phrase out the so-called DACA program cruel and self-defeating. The program has provided nearly 800,000 young immigrants a reprieve from deportation. The Trump administration announced Tuesday is receding the program and leaving it to Congress to come up with an alternative. Obama did not mention Trump by name in his statement, but says a shade, says a shadow has been cast. 
over some of the nation's best and brightest young people. He says targeting them is wrong because they have done nothing wrong. Obama says it's up to members of Congress to act, and he joins his voice with the majority of Americans who hopes Congress will step up. The program created by Obama has given young immigrants who were brought to the country illegally as children a reprieve from deportation and the ability to work legally in the country. I hope they do, too, because I, I just don't think it's fair. Um, but it's just my opinion. You know, it, that's just how I feel about things. I mean, people could say, oh, well, you know, immigrants and blah, blah, blah is doing this and doing that. You can't put everybody in the same basket. I keep saying that. You can't do that. I mean, we got to figure out a different way because it's just not right. It's just wrong on so many levels. I don't know. I, I just, I, to me, I don't understand how this country have gotten so far off. I just, I don't know. I, I just think that we could do better. I just think we could do better. I, that's just my opinion of things. Am, am I wrong for thinking that way? Maybe to everybody else I am. But I don't. I, I just think that to go after people because of the program that a former president, you know, supported, it's crazy. Anyway, Vivica Fox was ambushed by haters in New York City and had the best response. <laughs> Vivica is not one to hold her tongue for anyone. Have we already forgotten her recent... Um, complaint, her recent comments. I don't know. Anyway, according to TMZ, Fox was calmly signing copies of her new book, Every Day I'm a Hustle, when the group charged into the room, loudly chanting, Stop Wearing Fur. The actress seemed to maintain her composure for the majority of the moment as her team scurried around trying to find security. At one point, while speaking with someone from her team and a group of photographers, she can be heard saying they're doing their thing. However, seemingly growing weary of the ruckus, she clapped back yelling, God bless you, multiple times before adding, don't compare when you can't compete. The drama didn't end there. As the Kill Bill star attempted to leave the store in her vehicle, the protesters blocked the driver's way by standing before the car with their signs continued to chant. So she holds, yeah, she stands in front holding her book, smiling. I would have went there too, but I probably would have said some more stuff. They probably like, no, you're going to embarrass yourself. No, I didn't shut up. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it would have been ugly for me because I don't think I would have been that nice. I'm like, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been like that.
I'm, I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know. Because you can't tell. See, this is the thing. You're judging people off of what you're saying that they're wearing. Because you're saying that they're wearing animal skin and, and all that. I don't know. You know? I really don't know if if she's wearing animal skin or, or not. I don't know. I don't pay attention to half the stuff that these people be wearing. And sometimes when people wear stuff, I just look at it to say, um, I, I just don't know what they're wearing half the time. If it's cute, I like it. If it's not cute, I don't like it. I don't know. It's just crazy to me. But someone asked me a question, and I'll be back with you guys to answer the question. You guys don't go. Ahead.